Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Christy Moore Hernandez, who during her near-death experience had a conversation with the Holy Spirit. Christy, thank you for joining me and welcome. I'm so happy to be here and share my story. Well, Christy, if you don't mind, can we start on the day your NDE happened and go from there? Uh, I woke up and I had a really bad headache, like not a normal headache, like a headache where you sit up and your head flops over because it weighs 2,000 pounds. And I was crying. And... um my husband at the time, I think he was a little panicked because I don't usually act like that. But that year, I had been having some health challenges since the birth of my baby, and she was about 13 months old at this this day. Uh, she just started to walk, so I, that's why I know it, she was 13 months old. And so what I remember is him loading the, the two of us into the car. And taking us to the hospital. But back in those days, this was 1981, you you just uh, didn't run to the emergency room unless you were really bleeding. You went to your clinic, your family clinic, or your doctor. So I, we, he took me to the, our family clinic, just happened to be in a hospital in the, uh, the bottom floor. The next memory I have is holding on to the wall and looking at these people <laughs> fading away. And then the next thing I know, I was um, above everything. It's like I was telling you, Jeffrey, it's like a, a Sims game, except Sims games hadn't been invented. Video games hadn't even been invented. But it was as if the ceiling and the roof and the walls had no substance to them. And I could see myself laying on a table. I could see the red dress I had on. And I could see all these doctors just, they looked frantic. And that whole, that was like over there. And it was all in gray, like a gray filter had been put on that route, me and those doctors. And then I could see my husband very nonchalantly reading a book and smoking a cigarette. And my little 13-year-month-old baby was running up and down this, like, hallway and at the end of the hallway was a plant, and in the middle was a lamp. And it was all blown out in like this white mist. And I was hovering above it all, 
And I was like, I felt like I was waiting, like I was at a bus stop waiting for something. And that's when that inner voice that's always been with me said, you know, you got to go back. And I, and I, I was like, no, no. <laughs> Got my head, no, I don't want to go back. And he kept, or the spirit kept directing my vision to look at my little girl. And she, because she just learned to walk. So you got to understand, this is like she's really coddling. It's just so precious. And I could feel this love I had for this child. And I really wanted to just go with the Holy Spirit. I really, you know, had no, any other emotions attached to the world. It was just to that little baby. And then there was a moment, you know, it was a while of silence. Like it just sat there and comforted me. And meanwhile, that scene is still taking place, that that frantic gray scene over there. And then, you know, and the baby would giggle and laugh and run and fall down and get back up. And my husband just was ignoring her. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, you know, she was entrusted into your care. And you're an important part of this piece. And the next thing I know, we sat there a little bit longer. And I, next thing I know, I woke up in a hospital room and I had all these, um, you know, IVs and, and a thing on my chest and, um, the room was kind of dark, but there was filtered light coming in. And it took me a few minutes to realize I was in a hotel, in a hospital room and I hit the little buzzer and nobody came for a long time. Nobody came. And then I started wondering, well, is this the waiting room of heaven? Or something. You know, I was actually touching myself. And and then the door burst open and this nurse came running in and she was all out of breath. And she said, you're alive. I'll go get the doctor. Then a little bit of time passed and in comes a bunch of doctors and they were high-fiving themselves and and, uh, just ecstatic that I was alive. And so uh, I didn't know what was going on. I'm telling you, I was, I woke up in some kind of real bizarro world. And it took several months for it to all piece together. And then it took several years for me to understand that the miracle were, was not necessarily the NDE. The miracle was all the events that led up to the NDE. And then all the events that took place in my life afterwards. And that's been over 40 years. So I can really look through the rearview mirror and see this very clearly. So that's my story. And there's a lot of other parts because all of that led to what the work I do now and the book I wrote and the lifestyle I do now. But it took 40 plus years to get here. And I'm really happy it all happened like this. Christy, thank you for sharing your experience with us. Did you ever did you ever tell your husband I saw you from above and I saw you casually smoking a cigarette and the baby running up and down the hall and, and if so, <laughs> what was his response to that? Well, 
it it just was really um because i in my clouded mind i thought he was in the room remember the, there were no walls there was so i you know i was like why were you in that room smoking <laughs> and he's like i wasn't in that room smoking what are you talking about and it turns out he had never gone into the exam room and so he was he he just kept saying no no i was in there with her but I think what the Holy Spirit was telling me is that as a parent, he would not be invested in her like I was. He loves her, but he's going to let her run around. And so, yes, it, it, it started a series of conversations. It, it helped us to see that our marriage was not solid as we thought it was. And it was a few months later that I learned how serious my situation really was when uh, a friend of ours, my husband and I, he, we had gone to university together and this was one of our university professors had remained a friend in our lives. And so picking up from my husband's point of view, he takes me to the hospital, they whisk me away. He has to go find somebody to take care of our baby. See, because he's not gonna do it. And they told him that they didn't expect me to live, that I was dying. So he left with this, you know, I'm about to have a dead wife kind of mentality. And in reaching out for comfort, he called this friend of ours, this professor, and told him that I was dying. And they didn't speak again. And so now I'm out of the hospital and a few weeks has passed. The phone rings. I pick it up. It's our friend. And he just hollers, oh, my God, you are alive. You're alive. And started crying. And that's when I got out of uh, my, my, my husband at the time. That's when I got out that how stressful it had been for him and what he had gone through and that it really was terribly serious. And then that leads me to tell you about the real miracle of this is when I had my baby, I started having health challenges. And I went through a series of medical tests and blood tests and machine testing. And I, you know, they put me and poked me anywhere they could. And after a few months, they came back and said, well, you are in perfect health, except for you have an allergy to toluene. And I'm like, what the heck is toluene? It turns out it's a, it's a constituent of crude oil, and it's what they use to create synthetic products in all kinds of things. But one of the things that it's in is in medicines. And one of the medicines that it's in is a medicine called EDTA, and the T stands for toluene. Well, when they were in that frantic scene over there in the gray, what they were dealing with was they didn't, they, they didn't know why I was so sick. They knew... There was a, uh, a chance that I had uh, meningitis or lead poisoning, that, that they had gotten it down to those two things. 
Well, what was interesting is I had been using some uh, spray paint on a art project, and it turned out that it was the lead paint. Now, if I had not had that allergy test, and they put that EDTA in me, because that's what they use to chelate out lead, I would not have survived. It would have killed me. So these are the miracles. The true miracle of my NDE is to see that God's hand has been in my life every step of the way. And the reason those doctors were high-fiving themselves when I woke up is that they took a risk to not treat me. And they put me down in an isolation away from all the other patients just in case they were wrong and, and meningitis showed up. But they were banking on the lead. But they were going to play it safe. It was 1981. Doctors had used critical thinking back then. And God bless every single one of them, because that decision to wait and see is what saved me. Those little bitty things, Jeffrey, little bitty things. Do you feel that then the Holy Spirit was showing you a possible future without you? Yes. Oh, I got goosebumps. Oh, yes, I got goosebumps. Absolutely. That's absolutely what he was showing me. And I think the lamp represents the light of God and that my daughter was just running past it and that I I needed to be there to help her have her face on what's important. And so in the real rear view mirror on that one, guess what that little girl turned into? She's a a writer. She writes self-help books for women. Very, very powerful books for women. Right. And she's printed all around the world. So he, he, <laughs> God just loves us so much. He just is always working with every single one of us to sing that song that's in our soul. And that's what she's done. Now, when you were talking about the voice, at one time, it sounded like you were about to say or you were saying it was a male voice. Is that what you heard? Yeah. Yeah. I've always felt like they're males. And even though I intuitively, I know there's no sex, there's no gender in heaven. It's just, I, I guess because it's uh, like, you know, a dad. And my father is, uh, he lives with me. He's 89 and he's a a retired veteran. And so maybe that's why I feel that they're men, because it's like a protection feeling. I don't know. It's just our minds, how we we grow up. Like that was a bug. (laughs) It just flew in my ear. You know, we just, we all just see life through our filters. Can you tell us? some of the ways you changed after your experience? I started talking to God out loud. Everything. And uh, it was about maybe four months later, that's when my marriage really started to deteriorate. And um, so I'd be talking to, I just talk, I drive and talk, I cook and talk. I still do that. I still just have these little rambling conversations. 
And then when I do that and I ask a question and I just get quiet, I'll either receive an answer like in my heart or a knowingness or in the natural world, a, a, a book or somebody will say something or a friend, you know, something will happen and that answer will come to me. So what's changed, What I started, first of all, I, I started calming down a little bit because when you're in your 20s, you're a little bit hysterical. You think you know everything. You're supposed to, you know, achieve success right away. And I, I just calmed down about that stuff. I started to realize what was important. And even though I did a career in the film industry and I worked real hard, 60, 70 hour weeks, I always tried to spend my free time with my daughter, and I always answered every question she had, no matter how difficult it was. So I think it made me a better mother. It sounds like you were already a religious person before the experience. Would you say that you became... No. No? No. I am a spiritual person. And uh, as far as religion goes, I got thrown out of church when I was 14. Asking inappropriate questions. I'm a curious person, and I've always felt this spirit around me. But religious, dogma, I listen to what God tells me to do, and then I go do it. Sometimes he will tell me to go open the Bible. One time I asked him, what's my next project? And he told me Luke 15, 20. And I was like, what? I had to go look it up. It's the prodigal son. I I do videos for fun. Did you notice after your experience that you had any abilities that you didn't have prior? Like things that you could consider being psychic? I would say my intuition got stronger. And um, I don't consider myself psychic. Uh, I consider myself in tune with the higher dimension where God lives and the angels and the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I'll just say, come, Holy Spirit, come. And I get a euphoria. So that's different. I didn't have that before. Also, since then, like I said, I'll just get this knowingness. I would just know. And I can't tell you why I know it, and it'll not make any sense. And then it it's usually <laughs> it's something valid. So there, my intuition and my connection to the higher dimension just got so strong. And, and then I, uh, one day I heard Jesus in my heart, and that, that one just really took me to a new level. And then when I was going through Hurricane Andrew, which was in 92, and it was pretty bad. I mean, uh, houses were destroyed. My house wasn't even touched. But while that was going on, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit with me. And I knew at that time that I was blessed and I would be okay. So after that happened and every, you know, uh, I was on a job, I, I did film work. So we're, you know, shooting a film and everybody's talking about their hurricane stories and they're all just like 
saying how lucky they were. And I got really annoyed. I'm like, no, you were blessed. You, we're all blessed. So that day I went home and I was very frustrated that people weren't seeing the hand of God in the situation. And in that moment, I spoke to God and I said, now I understand how you feel when people say you don't exist. Jeffrey, that was the most profound moment of my life. And I don't share this. I've started because I'm older now. I will share this more often. But at that moment, as soon as that came off my lips and my heart was just weeping for God, the environment, it was like a knife just slit the environment open and it split. And this light came through, and it came right into me, and I fell to my knees. I should have broken my patellas. I should have been bruised. I should be hurt intensely. But instead, this pain and heartache and suffering and every tear just is taken away. And I have never felt heartache like that since. I stood up. I was not bruised. I was not hurt. And so anybody who wants to ask me how I've been changed by the Holy Spirit, I have to share that story. And that happened in 93, and I've been walking in faith. And I've gone every place he's told me, and I went into some places I didn't understand why I had to be there, but... I get it now. I get it now. So that's how I changed. I became a warrior for God. Has the memory of this experience faded over the years? Yeah. In fact, last night I was laying there, I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, I should review that. And it just came to me like a moving picture. Boom, 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 boom. I was like, I don't have to review that. That's imprinted on my heart forever. And that feeling came back to me of the comfort. You see, the Holy Spirit is the great comforter. And I, that's what I was experiencing because my brain was being damaged with that lead paint. That's the other thing that changed. I used to be real, really a lot. I think a higher IQ. I think the lead did um, yeah, I know it did. It harmed me because I used to be able to rattle off phone numbers and I just was like a little walking computer. But after that, I, I kind of did slow me down a little bit. But that's what lead does to the brain. And now I do, um, just just so you know, it's why I wrote my book is I got, uh, I, I went into this quantum biofeedback and energy medicine because I had another accident in 2005 with chemicals. How? So that was another. But I didn't have that. wasn't very exciting, Jeffrey. I'm sorry. It was. He was in the bathroom, and I didn't leave my body that time. I just, I took the pain. How do you define the Holy Spirit, and what is the difference between the Holy Spirit and God? Okay, well, the Holy Spirit is the great comforter. The Holy Spirit could not be on earth until 
Jesus Christ went through his life, death, and resurrection. After he resurrected, it went on a, you know, up into the sky. And there are 500, over 500 people who, who witnessed that. He told them to wait for him, to wait, that there was a gift coming. And uh, I think it was 30 days later, the Holy Spirit fell upon the, the people that were there. It was 125 of them. So the Holy Spirit is just a, a, a it's like a phone call to God. That's what it is to me. I call the Holy Spirit. I get euphoria. I go into a, a divine center place and I can pray and talk and I feel like it's taken back and, and, and answered. And, uh, or if it's not going to, you know, sometimes, you know, the answer isn't what we want, but they are all answered. I prayed for my, that first marriage. I wanted that first marriage to work. God gave me what was best for me. So defining the Holy Spirit, it's an unseen force that brings comfort. And if you're receiving it, you'll go into euphoria. And I think it's something you definitely want to strive for, that connection. So it's, uh, I guess it's like God in a text or something. Maybe it's the way God communicates with us is through this energy and there's yes i believe that and we don't need dogma we don't need any religious dogma we just need to believe in god and that he loves us and that he loves us so much that he knew all this trouble that was going on here that he said he sent his best guy his son because somebody had to come in here and play the game right he just he did no, he no, he did it all right, and that's how we got this gift. What's interesting is that you know the game Sims, and I just saw you hold your hands like this. So you must be a gamer. My son is. <laughs> it's my boy, my son, and that's a whole another miracle. There, I could talk to you for hours on all my these miracles. <laughs> he tried to make me a gamer. I just don't have the, uh, well, I, I would play with him when he was little, but he got so good that I, I couldn't keep up with him. Do you play The Sims? I did. I did back then. Yeah, we had a computer with it on. It was it was so funny. And every time I played that game, I would think about that experience. It's, wow, this is like how it looked, except without the blown out light and the gray over there. You mentioned that you worked in the film industry. Did you work like for major motion pictures or something? Yes, I was worked out in South Florida. We were a third tier city. And so we did the location work. You know, Miami Vice was considered location. Uh, the Bad Boys uh, movie, the uh, all, all kinds of little bitty things. Uh, but everything from an independent to Universal Studios, Paramount. Viacom, all kinds of big names. It was a crazy, crazy life. 
did this experience affect any way that you did your job? (laughs) (laughs) I had an assistant. She was this girl from up north. I think she she was born in Maine and, and, and like grew up in Boston. So she's a very practical down to earth girl. Love her. Still love her. Hi. Hi, Carolyn. And, um, so I, I, what happened is I needed an assistant, but I didn't have time to go find one. So I just told somebody to go get me somebody. And that's how Carolyn ended up there. And so we're in, in a really weird situation. We're down in the Keys trying to put together a movie or a TV show. That's what it was, it was a TV show. And when you're doing stuff like that, you need stores to go buy stuff. Now, you remember, this is before the Internet. So there was very limited uh, time and places to procure the things that we needed. So one day, we needed jean shorts. And we went up and down all the keys trying to be ridiculous, ridiculous, trying to find this. We go in a Kmart because I kept telling her, I feel like something's in here. She says, oh, I checked it. So we go in there and there's nothing there. And I, I, she wanted to leave. I said, I don't know. I just still got that feeling to stay in here. And I want to go look at hats. And she goes, you want to look at hats? I'm like, yeah, let's go look at the hats. So we went over and looked at the hats. And she goes, okay, can we leave now? I says, no, I want to go back over there because those jean shorts are there. And she's now she's rolling her eyes. So we go back over there, look around. There's nothing there. I said, I'm telling you, I can feel that they are in this store. We were just standing there. And out comes this rack of jean shorts right there at our feet. I don't know, this this happened like three more times that day. And so by the end of the week, Carolyn's like, who are you and what are you doing? And who are you talking to? Turns out that she was brought up Jewish. So I started telling her Bible stories. And I told her just how I grew up. And I, I'm talking to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit told me that those jean shorts were in there. So we spent 10 years talking about the Holy Spirit. That's how that changed me on jobs, working on yucky, yucky jobs. So I just brought, I just brought God and Jesus into my work. They tell me, you know, take a towel. I grab a towel and sure enough, somebody fall in the pool. Standing there and they say, take an umbrella, not a cloud in the sky. I take an umbrella and somebody say, you got an umbrella? These guys are getting cooked over here in the sun. And so I just always listened to that voice that told me to do this or that. But I'm a human being and I am stubborn. And sometimes I would be like a contrary child and not want to do what God's will was. And I always regretted it. So I learned to not do that. I can look back and every one of my regrets is going against God's hand. Take that to heart, everybody. Listen to that voice and ask it. You ask, are you the Holy Spirit? Have you been sent to me by the one true God? Because there are a lot of spirit on this planet that is not good. So you need to clarify who you're talking to. 
that's what I would add to that because in the film industry, I saw a lot of evil stuff. It's real. But so is the good. So is the, the glory. <laughs> I don't want to scare anybody. But I mean, I did. I went into uh, all kinds of places, Jeffrey. I saw stuff. And all of it just confirmed from that day on. It was confirmed. Do you fear death at all? No. Not anymore. I only fear where I'm going. I want to go be sitting right next to, I want to sit at the feet of God. I want to be in the throne room. I, I don't want to be in the remnant. Uh, and, and so I know I'm going to heaven. I just want to be in a, it, my whole life I was told that I would have a mansion in heaven. And I told God I really would rather have a bungalow on the beach. So that's, I just want to please my heavenly father and do the work he sent me here to do. And I'm not, I have no fear of death. fear of life <laughs> like most of us we're afraid to sing our song and so so many of us just die without hit the single note so i'm over here singing if you came across a friend or someone you know that had lost a loved one recently because they transitioned to the other side what kind of advice would you give them First of all, I would say pray for them. We can, uh, particularly, you know, at the moment of death, like if I knew that that person was dying, I would be encouraging them to pray. But if the person's already died, uh, I would share with them that what I know about heaven, that we have a mansion. What I know about heaven, like I was saying, is that we get a mansion. and that there's this place that the loved ones can come in and observe us. They can come and look at us and they send us love. So I would just encourage my friend, and I have done this before, to know that God loves your, your loved one. And they were a good person. And, um, you know, most of my friends are Christian because in the Christian faith, you have to know Jesus. You want, you know, you you have to recognize the Son. So, you know, I talk in those terms with them. Now, my Jewish friend, her sister died. I didn't talk to her like that. And I just went into my, and I, and I talked to the Holy Spirit. And I asked, you know, how, what, what words can I use to comfort my friend? And the words I was given back were it's front row seats. So when I told my friend that front row seats, she burst into tears because that was in a conversation that they had had before the, you know, the person died. So when I told her, I, 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 I talked to heaven and heaven says everything's fine. And uh, this is the message front row seats. So for her that validated that, that that loved one was okay because it turns out they go to concerts and they always wanted front row seats. I, I didn't know that. I had no clue about that. So the Holy Spirit got that to her. 
But I don't encourage people to go seek out psychics to talk to your dead loved ones. They are in heaven and they are busy. And uh, talk to the Holy Spirit. What inspires you about your experience? Life everlasting. Life without pain. Life without judgment. Coexisting in a space that's just so beautiful that we... We weep with joy. I just know heaven is real. I know that Holy Spirit is real. I know God's real. I know it's just I, that's what inspires me. One of my best friends is an astrologer, and so when I talk like this, she always smiles at me. She says, "You just can't help it. It's in your chart." It's just all, you know, I don't, it's over my head, but I always laugh. I say, see, God, he makes a plan on everybody. We just have to get out of the way and just hold love in our hearts. And just know that your loved one is still alive. They're just on the other side of the veil. The veil, by the way, that when Jesus died, that veil was split. So that's the religion. He tore religion away from people. I'm not your typical Christian, so and don't bother. Don't anybody out there that wants to refute that? Don't bother because this is personal experience. Why do you think we have difficulty surrendering to God and getting out of the way? Because we lean on our own understanding. We we sit and ponder and think and or we'll listen to a, a, a person and we haven't developed that relationship. I mean that's the point of life is to develop a relationship with God. Just like if you saw somebody that you wanted to be friends with, if, unless you go over there and say, Hi, how you doing? It's you're not probably going to just slide into friendship you you know it's it's an uh putting forth an effort into making a relationship and some people can do that through nature some people want that structure of a of a dogma but I, i that usually just leads to frustration but i think some people can break past that because it's that Getting your mind quiet and saying, you know what, God, I don't know nothing about nothing. Would you please guide me? I've just been uh, an egotist and I surrender. I would, you know, release and repent thinking I know better because I don't. It's that kind of attitude, I believe, because I'm seeing it right now in people. They just think they know everything and they're, you know, they're 25. 67. I'm still learning. So I think that's what has to happen. You have to go through those ego blasters that get you humble. You know, you have to like break your dentures and do an interview and talk about God no matter what. And then you start getting those understandings, either the messages in the natural or dreams or your intuition becomes developed 
but I believe it's because we're void of relationships with God and we lean on our own understanding of a little human brain. And we're so much more than that. Remember, we are created in God's image. We run around acting like we're created in, you know, an ant's image or a lizard's image. So much more than that. And that's what I mean by the understanding possible for us to know. How was how would I have known to go and get an, a test for an allergy because I was going to be faced with a death sentence? If I had leaned on my own understanding and said, eh, I don't need that, I just went step by step with a progression towards an end. And that's how I ended up here. So That's what I mean by releasing judgments. A lot of us do have a lot of judgments about who God is and what God is. And really, he's just love. And we're we're created after that. Do you have any stories about Jesus? Do I have any stories about Jesus? Yes. I would like to share the story the first time Jesus spoke on my heart. I was having a really hard time. My My marriage was falling apart. I'd been out of the hospital about four months. I was still kind of weak. And my ex-husband, my husband at the time, he was pushing me to go get a job. And this is a really horrific moment for me. So because I uh, had, you know, modeled and done some things, so I, I you know, I, I was didn't know what to go do. I still... <laughs> I just couldn't find a job. And I didn't, I think it was because I was sick, still trying to recover. I was real skinny and I just wasn't um, myself yet. So I, there was an ad for a modeling job. So he told me to go over there. So I went over there. Well, it wasn't fashion modeling. It turned out to be an escort service. I was horrified. So I go home and I say, I can't do that. It's escort. And my husband looked at me and says, how much money could you make? I was like, what? What? I was just beside myself. And the guy had told me I, I, I could have made a million dollars. That's what he said to me. So I threw that at my husband. I said, a million dollars. And he looked at me. He says, go back over there. That was the day my marriage ended. The autopsy took a lot longer, but that day was the day the knife went into the heart. So as I was driving, I was actually obeying him and driving back over there. And I couldn't do it. So I decided to go ask a preacher because I'm a Christian. And he was asking, he was telling me I had my to obey my marriage vows. But it was also breaking a commandment. So this was not working in my brain. So I went up to some church and they, the door was locked. So I went over to another. I went First, I went to the church I, I would go to occasionally. The door was locked. Then I went to another church. And the lady, t- I was crying. And the lady told me, 
you can't be here because we have a wedding in a few minutes. That made me cry even more. So I went over to another church and they told me to go away and they wouldn't open the door. And I sat down in the grass and I bawled my eyes out in front of this church. And finally, it was so bloody hot. It was blazing hot. I was just soaking wet, crying and sweat and just heartbroken. So now I go home and nobody's there. And I was standing in my little kitchen and I'm just blazing hot. And I said out loud, where is Jesus? Where is all that love I felt when I was a little girl? It, it, it was real. I know that love was real. Where is he now? And that moment, this coolness came over me. I've never experienced it since. Absolutely just. And then most beautiful voice. Clear as a bell came out of my heart. It was right here. And it said, Science will one day prove that Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected. That was it. And I stood there cool, calm. And I, I was in awe. And then seven years later, my life had changed so much. I wasn't even living in the same town anymore. I was working on Miami Vice. My assignment was to find pictures of priests and a photographer in action. We did not have internet back then. So we, we tore pictures out of magazines to put storyboards together to help put the script together to guide us into what we were doing. And so as I was turning pages in an Italian magazine that was not in English, there was this weird picture. And when I looked at it, I got goosebumps and I got all tingly. And then I, I got some, uh, my friend, I have an Italian friend, he told me, oh, that's the Shroud of Turin. It's uh, the Shroud that they say Jesus was wrapped in. And I kept saying, it's, it causes me to have goosebumps. So then, in 2019, I ended up presenting that story to the uh, a conference for the Shroud of Turin, and I'm now published in a book there with that personal story that Jesus spoke to me and told me that the science would prove his existence. And I believe it's going to be that shroud. And I know there's controversy, and I've studied the shroud. But if somebody is looking to understand Jesus, go look up the Shroud of Turin. That's my little story about that. That's when Jesus spoke in my heart. And that's where he talks to you, right here. During this story, you mentioned something about a knife and a heart, and the autopsy will show it. What did you mean by that? That was my marriage. When my husband told me to go back to that escort, he just put a knife in my heart. I mean, that, that was the figure. I'm using that as a figuratively. But literally, he started having nightmares of hiding the body 
and that's when I started getting the messages that I needed to leave. That, and it, it's a very sad story because he became an addict, or he already was an addict. It's just that I wasn't to follow him down that path. And um, he's he's on the other side now. I know he's in heaven. Uh, I forgave him. We're at peace. And um, that's what I mean about the autopsy. It takes, when you have a heartache like that, you, you need Jesus to get over it. And then you need time to understand it. And now I, I do understand that relationship. It's what helped me be patient with the uh, addicts that were in the entertainment industry. I'm going to switch gears with you. You mentioned a book earlier. What is the title of your book and what is it about and where can we find it? The title is Alive with Tomorrow's Medicine. The byline is How I Survived Chemical Intolerance, Multiple Chemical Sensitivity, and Environmental Illness. It's on Amazon, and I wrote the book because I needed to organize myself into understanding what had happened to me in 2005 when I got knocked down by chemicals and uh, and how it led me into doing the work I do, which is quantum biofeedback, uh, quantum wave laser, therapeutic grade essential oils, and biogenesis. Uh, that's a, a small business I have. I help people uh, manage stress. And you understand that stress is behind 95% of all disease. You understand why you want to do proper stress management, and that's what I do. I also help people in spiritual matters. And, um, and so... I didn't have time to explain myself on all my sessions, so I decided to write it all out and uh, give it supporting research. And so it's a book written in uh, di- different parts. So you, if you want to just read about the technology, that's you just go to that part. If you want to read what happened to me, you can go read my personal story. You, you don't have to read the whole book. You can just pick the section that you want to read. And um, because, and I also had the person, professor, who developed the quantum biofeedback technology. I uh, had that one. It's all been checked out. It's all properly researched and documented. So that's, you know, so it can be a scientific kind of book or it can be a personal story book. And it's like I said, it's available on Amazon, or it's uh, it's also on Kindle. If people would like to contact you after this podcast, are you up for that? And if so, how should they do it? Uh, they can contact me through my website if they want, which is uh, quantumbiofeedbackspecialist.com. My phone number is on there, and the best thing to do is text me. I'm not very good at phone calls because I'm usually working, so I I don't answer the phone when I'm working. So uh, texting is the best or an email. All right. Before we finish up, 
Can you leave us with one last positive message? God loves you. He loves you so much. You've never been so loved. <laughs> he loves you so much. Every single one of us, just, all we have to do is turn our face to God and just tell him, I'm so sorry. I want to be better. And just then let it unfold. It may not happen right away, but to become a new creature takes time. Think about the butterfly. She didn't happen overnight. She had to, first she had to be a little worm. Just most of us are little worms, little caterpillars right now. And then she had to spin that cocoon. In other words, she had to listen to the Holy Spirit. And she had to wait and be patient. And then when the time came, she has to wrestle her way out. So that's God making you strong when he sends you problems and challenges. That's you working your little muscles and becoming spiritually strong and a spiritual warrior. And that's something I'd like to do is is help people uh, step into that role as a spiritual warrior. But anyway, that that's my main message is that you are so loved and God wants you. He wants you back. He wants you in heaven. Forget all that religious dogma stuff. Just know he sent his son to get you. It's very, very profound. Christy, thank you for that message, and thank you again for joining me today. I really appreciate you, and I wish you the best. Well, Jeffrey, I really appreciate you and the work you're doing. It's exceptional, and I believe it's very, very important. I will share real quick. My daughter, the author, is Mm -hmm. the one that got me to go on that NDE Facebook page. So there she is again. I was going to ask, who is your daughter? Her name is Kara King. Can you say that again? I couldn't hear you clearly. Wait, I'm thinking about how her name is Kara, K-A-R-A King, K-I-N-G. Kara King. You want the name of the book? Sure. You ready? You might have to, you might have to blurp this out. Her first book was called The Power of the Pussy. It sold millions. It's been translated over into, I think, five or six different languages now. It's about empowering women mm-hmm. into, you know, their true nature. Good book. Mm-hmm. And then she has another one that's called um, Power of the Pussy 2. And then dogs, or excuse me, cats don't chase dogs. It's her other book. All right. 